Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. What about Job? I want to go through seven lessons learned from the book of Job that I've written down in a very clear manner that's going to help you have a deep appreciation for the book of Job. It's not going to be a book that you avoid or kind of like sweep under the rug when people come and ask you, when you start talking about victory and about triumph and about God's power at work in us, and then they say, what about Job? You just, well, I don't know. You, you freeze. You're like I said before, like a ward on a pickle, and you just have nothing to say, and you're looking like a deer staring in the headlights, and you just try to avoid the question at all costs. Hopefully, they're not going to bring up Job. I want to show you that you actually don't have to hope for that you can actually hope for them to bring up job because the purpose of the book of job is not for you to it's not a curveball it's not god's curveball that he throws in the middle of the bible so that if tragedy does strike if you don't get healed or if miracles don't happen he can just point you to job the book of job is not the fine print of the bible in god's contract with humanity where it says that all promises and all covenants that i've ever made with humanity are made void because at any will at any time because of the book of job you know when you sometimes you'll you'll sign up for something uh you'll sign up to be a member of of a sword and companies uh maybe a, a um a store like h&m or zara or whatever and you sign up to be a member of their 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 you know i don't know what to call it their membership services and stuff and then they'll throw you uh, coupons or they'll throw you certain they'll throw you certain uh, deals and sales and promotional offers but if you look at the fine print it oftentimes will have two things it'll have actually three things number one it'll have an expiration date number two it'll have uh, a, a little fine print statement that says can be made void at any time without further no- without any prior notice and then number three, it'll say it cannot be combined with any other offer. Unfortunately, that's how some people read the Bible. They think the Bible had an, expir- an expiration date, that when the last apostle died, that's when God's goodness and promises outside of salvation, outside of you making heaven, all the other things God promised in the entirety of the Bible had an expiration date and it's no longer, uh, it's no longer in effect. Number two, some people believe that, that, that Job is like the fine print that... Uh, at any time because of job god can make void his promises without any prior notice so that yes i know i said that i'm the lord that healeth thee yes i know that i said that i am jehovah jireh the god that prospers you yes i know that i said i have pleasure in the prosperity of my servants but remember job without any prior notice god can make void any one of his promises and his covenants that's how some people read the bible and number three some people read it that it cannot be combined with any other offer that it, it's salvation and that's it There's, you can't talk about healing can't talk about prosperity can't talk about victory it's just it's either salvation or nothing else it's either salvation or you can't couple it with any other offer i want to tell you my brothers and sisters the bible says in the book of hebrews that there are things good things that come with salvation the bible says that christ came as the high priest of good things to come psalm 103 says bless the lord oh my soul forget not all his benefits you can combine every single offer in this book called the bible think of this the promises of god 
is God's offer to mankind that if you'll believe in me, I'll enforce these things in your life. I'll bring them to pass. I'll wipe away anything that's hindering these things from taking root in your life and I will enforce them in your life. That's what the promises of God. They are promissory notes. They are they are, they are promissory notes. They are title deeds to things that God has already put in your hands and have given you power to possess for yourself. But remember, I've said it many times, because the thing is, I start talking about victory. I start talking about being more than a conqueror. I start talking about being a champion because of Christ. Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in, than he that lives in the world. And the, the constant opposition that I get when preaching this in the last five years of ministry is this, you're, you're unrealistic, you're, you, you preach all flowers and dandelions, you preach that there's never challenges in life, that couldn't be further, than, further from the truth, I never, and you can go through any one of my broadcasts, never do I ever say that there will not be a, prom, a, a, a challenge or a problem that arises, I never say that there won't be opposition, that there won't be adversaries, that there won't be giants in the land. Remember, when God said to the Israelites, I'm giving you the land, though there are Canaanites that dwell there, and yes, there may be giants in the land, I'm giving it to you to possess it for yourself. Just because God gave you a promise doesn't mean there's gonna be no opposition in return. Just because God said, I'm giving you the land doesn't mean there aren't gonna be giants in the land that you have to clear out. God told David, I'm gonna make you the king of Israel. But David had to take up a sling and a stone in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies and use that authority and power and the anointing God gave him to overcome Goliath. And that's the that was the, the challenge that presented itself that most Christians today would say, uh, guess God does, I guess sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says maybe. David didn't look at his opposition that, like that. David looked at Goliath as a stepping stone, not as a stumbling block. David wasn't scared of Goliath. All of Israel were afraid of Goliath. All of Israel shrank back because of the size of Goliath. David, by the anointing, rose up to the occasion and said, I know that if God is for me, this Goliath that stands ahead of me, that's trying to prevent me from rising up to be king of Israel as God has promised me, this Goliath is going to be knocked down and the birds of the air are going to feed on his flesh. So you have to, if you look at the book of Job, you can look at it in two ways. You can look at the book of Job as a book that whenever you go through tragedy or misery in life, you just say, well, I must be Job. This must be what Job felt like, or I must be going through what Job went through, and God has given Satan permission to just mess things up, or you can have a proper understanding of the book of Job, and it's going to place in you a deep appreciation for the work of Jesus Christ in redemption, and you're never going to give that, that, that poor excuse that I must be Job. Let me tell you something. The purpose of the book of Job is not intended to be a scapegoat for Christians that the moment suffering comes, they can just say, well, I must be Job. That's not the purpose of the book of Job. First of all, Job's whole ordeal lasted about 18 months, scholars say. 18 months. And you understand that when Job, and I'm going to get to it further on in this broadcast, but the end of the book of Job doesn't 
It's not that Job ended up scraping off all the boils and sores that were in his arm and finally he ended up cutting a main artery and he ended up bleeding to death and that's how Job's story ended. Wow, hope we don't, we don't ever, ever fall into the category of one like Job. That's not how Job finishes. Job finishes with him being restored double everything he had ever lost, double children, double, double blessing. And the Bible says God blessed Job more in his latter days than in his former days and he lived a long, good life. He lived 140 years after that whole ordeal. So within 18 months, Job went, Job lost everything, but then regained double. So all those people that say, I must be Job, I must be, I must be going through what Job went through, they're like 10 years down the struggle, 10 years down the frustration, 10 years into the suffering, and they're still saying they're Job. If you were truly Job, which I'm going to show you why you can never be Job, but if you were truly Job, you would, not, you would be within 18 months the talk of a nation. He, was, he went from being the greatest in all the East to absolutely the greatest in all the east so pay attention today because i want there's a lot of people and i've said it before the devil he sows in one seed of doubt one seed of uncertainty one seed through the power of suggestion maybe you're job did god really say that if you are the son of god can you really believe god for those things he sows one little doubtful suggestion and because people entertain those thoughts it sets them on a terrible course in life i want to if you've fallen off into that course i want to realign you into the truth of the word of god and you're never going to be the same again as a result of it job was not a mythical before i move on to the seven reasons or seven lessons learned from the book of job Job was not a mythical tale. He was not a fictional character. This is a real story that happened. And uh, the timing of Job, the timeline of Job is somewhere before, definitely before Moses, perhaps before Abraham or at the same time of Abraham. So most people believe that it was between Noah and Abraham that the life of Job happened. That this, this is when, this is the, uh, the chronological uh, timestamp in which Job, the, the story of the book of Job occurred. So let me read, I'm going to read Job chapter 1, verses 1, to Job chapter 2, verse 10. So it's a lot of reading, but pay attention, and I'm going to get through the seven lessons learned uh, from the book of Job. Number 1, chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. And would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job sent and sanctified them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came from among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? 
There is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and that donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and they killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. Isn't that interesting? The devil will always make sure that someone gets by and someone survives to deliver the bad news to you. While he was still speaking, another one also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine with their oldest brothers in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell on the young people, and they're now dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with wrong. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, I'm gone from coming, uh, sorry, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And his wife said to Job, don't you, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we not accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Seven lessons that I've learned from the book of Job. Number one, Satan was the one who took from Job, not God. I want you to pay special attention to verse 10 of Job chapter 1. The Bible says this, have you not made, this is Satan Speaking to God, saying, have you not made a hedge around Job? 
around his household and around all that he has on every side. You have indeed blessed all the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan acknowledged, contrary to most Christians today, Satan actually acknowledged that Job's prosperity and the source of his prosperity was God. You have to understand this. Job, John chapter 10 and verse 11 pretty much describes what I'm trying to say in one, in one simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Satan acknowledged that God was the source of Job's prosperity. God was the source of Job's healing. God was the source of Job's protection and Job's, Job's uh, well-doing, his well-being in life. Satan was the source of Job's affliction. Satan was the source of Job's sickness. Satan was the source of Job's um, oppression in life. We can see that because look at this. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. So notice that God wasn't destroying Job. What God did was lift the barrier of protection that was surrounding Job so that Satan can have access into Job's life. Now, the reason why God was able to lift that barrier of protection is because in Job's day, remember this, if you don't understand the whole uh, concept of covenants and dispensations throughout the Bible, you're going to be confused on everything else that I'm talking about today. But you have to understand, Job lived... In like a Windows 95 covenant. Job didn't have Jesus. Job didn't have the blood of Jesus. Job didn't have even the Mosaic covenant that God established in the book of Exodus with Moses. And in the book of Deuteronomy. All Job had to go off of was no, uh, Genesis 6. The Noahic covenant. Which promised him that as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will remain. Cold in winter, uh, summer and, and, and spring. And he also had the promise in Genesis chapter 3 that God had, God had a plan to send a redeemer. God was going to send the promised seed, which was Jesus. So Job had the understanding that one day redemption would come and that as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest would remain and would continue on in, in, uh, as a law of nature. That law of nature would never stop or cease to be until God, uh, until God says otherwise. So Job didn't have access to the covenant that we have access to today. As such, you know, Job didn't have the blood of Jesus. The hedge that protected Job's possessions and family was in place based on his blamelessness, blamelessness and his righteousness, his goodness, his deeds, which obviously the scripture says all men have fallen short of the glory of God. So, at any time, God had no obligation to keep that hedge in place. God didn't have any covenant with Job that guaranteed that that hedge would remain in place. And if you read Job chapter 3 verse 25, and we'll get into it more, uh, more in, the time, in the minutes to come, it was Job's fear that his family will have cursed God he kept on moving on to do sacrificial offerings to God that perhaps they had cursed God in their hearts and lest they should die or be struck down dead, Job continuously offered up these sacrificial offerings to God with the hopes that God would show mercy. He lived in absolute fear. 
that, uh, that he'd lose his family, that he'd lose his possessions. He was constantly offering up sacrifices, just hoping to gain favor with God. He lived in fear. And the Bible says in Job 3.25, the things which I have feared have come on me and that which I have dreaded has come to me. So the fear that he had attracted the problems that he faced furthermore. So you can see there were two gateways, two access, access points that Satan had into Job's life. Number one, the hedge of protection was lifted. So understand this, God did not send destruction on Job. God lifted up the protective barrier and as such, Satan had free access into Job's life to do what Satan does best, which is to afflict, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But even in that, listen to this, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So not God then moved to strike Job. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, there, were day, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job saying, the oxen were plowing and donkeys were feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. And indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So Satan obviously steered up human agents to move against Job's servant, servants. He, he raised up these raid, raiders to move against Job's servants and against certain parts of his possessions to kill the servants with the edge of the sword and burn, obviously burn whatever crops that they were, they were plowing in that moment. Number two, while he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven. Notice how, notice how the servant said the fire of God fell from heaven. It wasn't God's fire that fell from heaven. This shows you that Satan can actually have some sort of sway in manipulating nat nature, in bringing natural disasters on certain um, regions and geographical locations. Because remember, God told Satan, all that he has is in your hands. Only don't kill him. So everything you're seeing happening right now from verses 13 to verses, nine, uh, verses 19 is not God moving to afflict. It's God removing the hedge of, of protection and Satan moving in and doing these things. So with the raiders, you can see Satan moves to destroy by possessing, influencing, demonizing people to accomplish, he influences and manipulates people to accomplish his greatest desires on the earth. Number two, you see here, the servant wrongly says, the fire of God fell from heaven. It wasn't God's fire. It was the devil somehow bringing some sort of natural disaster on the people and it burnt up the sheep, his possessions and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. So you can see then that Satan has some sort of influence over nature nature and he could bring about certain natural disasters you know when uh, hurricane katrina happened and so many people died and 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 women in nursing homes died horrible deaths because they were abandoned and left there to die and the the, the force of the winds just destroyed the place where they were living in a lot of people said this was god's judgment on new orleans it wasn't god's judgment on new orleans God's not going around killing elderly women in nursing homes. See, that's where people get it so confused. They think because God permitted something to happen, that it must be something he committed. 
God's permission and God's commission are totally different. God permits people to do certain things that are against his will. It doesn't mean that it was his will to do those things. Do you think it's God's will for you to rob a bank? No. Do you think it's God's will that in the process of you robbing a bank, you had your gun go off and kill a six-year-old child? No. God's not going around killing children. God's raising children up. The Bible says children are a reward from the Lord, not a horror from the Lord that he seeks quickly to destroy and kill and, uh, and, 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 and rid the earth of. No, God's not going around. You know, you, I've seen many people, uh, they buried their young children or whatever, and, and you'll have the priest or some sort of pastor who has no idea what he's talking about get up and say stupid religious statements like some, you know, there was a, a vacancy in heaven's garden. And so God plucked this little rose and this little flower from the earth and put it in his garden because he had need of it there. As if God's going around killing children. As if, you know, people will, will suffer a miscarriage. And then they'll blame God. Obviously, God saw it fit for this child. God's not in league with Planned Parenthood clinics going around committing abortions, ripping children out of the womb. God is the author of life. God, the Bible says, he won't allow any woman to suffer miscarriage. Exodus chapter 23, verse 26. So just because God allowed that to happen and maybe in your life, it doesn't mean he was the author of it. It doesn't mean he was, the, he was in control of that situation and, and making it happen. God didn't author or originate anything here. All, all of these tragic moments and events that struck Job's life, you can see Satan was the one that went from the presence of the Lord and brought these horrible things on his life. Just because, you know, I can go out and take heroin the next 365 days of my life and I can guarantee you that my life is not going to look anything like it looks today because of my own choice and my own actions and my decision to pump heroin through my veins for a whole year. Does that mean God commissioned that? No. Now this might be a novelty for many people, but God gave something to man that is called free will, the ability to choose. You can choose to listen to God. Deuteronomy 28 says, all those who obey my commandments, these are the blessings that are going to follow you. All those that disobey, Deuteronomy 28, 15 to the end of the chapter. These are the things that are going to follow acts of disobedience. Now you might be saying, well, Job was a blameless man. He feared God. He shunned evil. And you are right in that. But I said it before, Job did not have Deuteronomy 28 covenant in place. Job didn't have the covenant of Jesus in place that was sprinkled, ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Job didn't have what we have. And as such, you can never relate or identify as Job. The only thing that you can draw from the book of Job in looking at his tragedy and uh, what he went through is what James says in James chapter 5, verse 11. It says, indeed, look at the perseverance of Job. So I'm not saying that there will never be an attack in your life, but you can't claim to be Job and just sit in sorrow in the attack and just say, God must be trying to teach me something. God doesn't need the devil's help to teach you something. God doesn't need satanic assistance in order to drive a point home with you. Understand this, some people, listen to this, some people have idolized tragedy in their life. 
And I say idolize because they have given it a place of authority above the word of God. Remember, it is God's word that is profitable for teaching, for instruction, for training in righteousness. It is not tragedy that is profitable in those things. Now, some people might say, well, had I not gone through, gone through that, I would have never have learned this specific lesson. So God must have been the one that originated the problem in my life because he was trying to teach me something. He gave me this sickness because I had I not learned to be sick I might not have ever learned compassion for the sick that is a terrible terrible um, idea and theological position to take remember the Bible says what the enemy meant for evil God turned for good just because God brought about good in the situation does not mean he's the originator of the storm of your life or the uh, the evil that 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 attacked your life God can, in the evil that's attacking you, turn it for good. And in the same vein, drive some very, very um, valuable lessons in it. He'll teach you certain things. He'll allow you to see more clearly. But it doesn't mean that God somehow has abandoned his word as his number one instrument for teaching and now is resorted to letting the devil loosen everybody's life so he can teach you a lesson. God's not in a back room somewhere negotiating with the devil and planning with the devil how can we teach sister so-and-so how to be more patient oh i know satan peeps up and says why don't we give him sickness why don't we give her sickness why don't we just break her legs she'll learn to be more patient now and she, for, honestly in my opinion she took for granted those legs anyways let's teach her a lesson that will allow her to see to never take anything for granted in life and then god said man devil that's a great idea you know what my word can never accomplish that on its own let's break that lady's legs that's not how god works remember this satan and god are diametrically opposed satan is the root and the author and the originator and the father of all evil and darkness god is the originator and the root and the giver and the author of all goodness and mercy remember david psalm 23 the lord when he's your shepherd when you follow god he will do what he'll lead you by still waters he'll make you to lie down in green pastures then it says surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i'll dwell in the house of the lord forever so it's David testified saying, when I follow God, goodness and mercy follow me. Not tragedy and hurt and harm. God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I have for you. Plans for good. Plans not to harm you or destroy you, but to bless you and to help you. Moving on here. The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, took them away, and killed the servants. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So again, Satan steers up certain agents of uh, human agents to accomplish destruction in Job's life. That's how Satan works. He uses people. He can use natural events. And he, and, and he brings sickness on people. As we'll read on furthermore in the book of Job. While he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest house. I want to also point out that Job's kids took the absolute worst of it all because they were constantly having drinking parties. In every single one of these instances, it's made clear that they are drinking and making merry in their oldest brother's house. They were having drinking parties. They were getting... Uh, drunk and, and having wild parties and, and, and who knows what else they were doing. 
There was clearly sin at work in his children's life. But listen to this. Suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and now they're dead and I've, I alone have escaped to tell you. Then you skip over the chapter two and verse seven. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And so Job took for himself a potsherd which with, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. You have here four instances where Satan rose up against Job. Not God, Satan. Number one, with the Sabaeans, he used people. Number two, in verse 16, natural disaster. And note, Job was told the fire of God when in fact it was the fire of the devil. Verse 17, raiders. Again, he uses people. And then verse 19, natural disaster. And then in Job chapter 2, verse 7, sickness. You see Job being struck by Satan with sickness and disease. Remember this, in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 18, Jesus identified sickness as an oppression from the devil. When he saw that woman that was bent double, he didn't say this was an affliction from God to teach the woman a lesson. He said this was a, a work of Satan. Shall not God loose this woman from this infir infirmity whom Satan has bound, think of it, these 18 years. So he attributed sickness as a bondage of satan a satanic bondage meant to distort and to suppress and oppress human beings created in the image of god so my first lesson that i learned from the book of job is that satan is the one that took from job and if you want to take it a step further job source of prosperity job's source of healing job's source of goodness and mercy and life and joy and peace that he experienced before this ordeal and after in job 42 was god and even satan isn't that interesting satan himself attributed the prosperity of job to god Meanwhile, many Christians, the moment someone prospers, says it's the devil that makes, makes them to prosper. Says it's the devil. Whenever healing happens, it must be the devil. Whenever a miracle happens, it must be the devil. When in fact, even Satan himself couldn't escape the fact that Job's prosperity, Job's health, Job's restoration, Job's everything that he had that, that had um, the identity of good and perfect, God was at the root of it. I want you to write this in the comment section. Satan is a destroyer and God is a deliverer. Satan is a destroyer. God is a deliverer. So when tragedy, you know, if, if ever something does happen or an attack comes. See, this is the two-pronged attack of the devil. He doesn't just want to stop at making people sick. He doesn't want to stop at throwing some tragedy at somebody, he wants then to move on, to turn you away from God, to turn your anger towards God, get you to abandon God, get you to curse God. Remember, uh, Satan kept telling God, does God, does Job serve God for nothing? Do this and he'll curse you to your face. So his ultimate goal is to get you to curse God, abandon God, turn away from God, leave the church, speak ill of your pastor, and move on to just living in sin and, and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. The devil wants nothing more than to strike someone, point the finger at God, and then get you to direct your anger at God. 
And that's how many people deal with tragedy. That's how many people deal with problems. Something happens that they don't like. And their first thing is, God's forsaken me. How could God let this happen? If God's so good, why did this happen? How come so-and-so died early? How he, the, the devil's greatest lie and deception that he has ever pitched towards humanity is that he doesn't exist. The devil's greatest lie and deception that he has ever pitched towards humanity is to get humanity to believe that he never existed. To strike people and then back off, point his finger at God and say he did it. To totally eliminate him in the equation. If God exists, why did this happen? If God's real, how come there's children in Africa or overseas that are struggling and in famine? If God, God's not the author of those things. Why does God allow it? Because God allows what people allow. God told the church to feed the hungry. And if the church doesn't follow that instruction, you know that if the church would tithe, if the full church, this is a crazy stat, if the full church of Jesus Christ, the entire body of Christ on the earth, would just simply tithe, give 10% of their income, world poverty will have been solved a long time ago. And there would be a lot more abundance to solve other problems as well. If every person that calls on the name of the Lord gave 10% of their income to the work of this ministry, there would be no poverty on planet earth. And that's the truth. So when people struggle overseas and there's poverty elsewhere uh, and you see poverty all around you, God's not the author of those things. He's already made a way to break people out of it. But people that disobey God's simple instructions to give is what causes those things. And so the devil continues to ransack people's lives, oppress and suppress, and then gets people to blame God for, as the, the originator of those things. Absolutely not. And as I said before, what God allows has nothing to do with his will. There was a man of God that was preaching a convention once and an evangelist got up on the stage and he started to say, I pitched my, I put up a tent. He had a 20,000 seater tent, a large tent. I put up a tent in such and such a place and there was a massive tornado and it took my, took my tent off and so I don't know whether it was the devil or God, but bless God, you know, we're going to get a new tent. God's not in the business of tearing gospel tents down. He's in the business of putting gospel tents up. And then you have insurance companies. What do the insurance companies say? They, say, they call it an act of God. It's furthest from the truth. It's not an act of God. Oh, a fire came, burnt up my house and everything I had in it. Must be an act of God. They're no different than these servants, that, the last servant that was uh, spared his life to bring the news to Job and said, oh, the fire of God fell from heaven. It wasn't God's fire. It was the devil. He's, the Bible says, when God told, asked Satan, where do you come from? What did he say? From walking to and fro on the earth and going all around the earth. From walking to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that the devil is like a prowling, a prowling lion. Walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That word to and fro, he's not just saying he's like, you know, fiddling his thumbs, walking around, minding his own business. He's actively seeking people 
and a, a, a point of entrance into people's lives so that he can destroy, afflict, make sick, make poor, defeat, and bring failure to people. He's, he's going to and fro, on the alert, being watchful. Is there anybody that's going to give me a foothold so that I can move in to strike? You, you look at what Job had before Satan moved in. He had health. He had prosperity. He had family. He had joy. You look at what happened. The moment Satan struck, what happened? He lost his health. He lost his prosperity. He lost his joy. And he lost his family. So based on just reading Job 1 and 2, what, do you, what can you deduct from that? That God's the author of it all? No, absolutely not. Satan took from Job. Number two lesson that I learned from the book of Job. Fear was Satan's entry point into Job's life. Job 3.25. The Bible says, let me read it. Job chapter 3 verse 25. For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has come to me. And I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. So the trouble was attracted to his life because of the gate of fear being open. Fear is faith in what the devil can accomplish and do. Faith, fear is faith in the devil and rejection of God's love. So do you remember when we read Job chapter 1? Job was constantly making sacrifices lest God should strike his family. He lived in fear of torment from God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, perfect love casts out of fear. Job did not have a revelation of the love of God that we have in this new covenant. And so he lived in abject fear. He was subject to fear because he thought that God was some vilified, evil being. That he could be good, he could be happy, he could be great. But then in the next, in the next vein, he can strike and steal everything away and take everything away. That's why he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. Which if you read, by the way, if you read the end of the book of Job, Job 39 to 42, God rebukes Job for speaking things that were not aligned with truth. He never cursed God. He didn't sin against God. And he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't sin against God in his mouth in that he didn't curse God or he didn't like, he didn't get angry at God. He wasn't, he didn't turn his anger against God. He just accepted it. But if you read the book of Job in the end of it, he, God rebukes Job and says, put a hand to your mouth. You've spoken things that are not according, in line with truth as to who I am. You've, you've like marred the image of who I am. Let me read that. Job 39. Job 39. Job 40, verse 1. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with him, uh, sorry, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. So God's saying, You've rebuked me, Job. Answer this. And Job said, I'm vile. What shall I answer you? I'm going to lay my hand over my mouth. I've spoken, but I'm not answering twice. I'm not, I, yes, I've spoken twice, but I will proceed no further. 
and verse 6 says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you. You shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Then you skip over to verse Chapter 42 and verse 1, the Lord answered, and Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I didn't understand. Job, from his own confession, said, I have uttered what I don't understand. And I have uttered things that are too wonderful for me, which I don't know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. And I heard of you, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I'm now repenting in dust and ashes. So Job, of his own confession, said, I spoke things that were wrong about God, that weren't truthful statements. So when people sing the song, blessed be the name of the Lord, he gives and takes away, he gives and takes away. That's actually, you're using a scripture that Job was rebuked for at the end of the book, for speaking. Because the only thing God gave was healing, prosperity, and, and, and his family and his wealth. Job, God did not take any of those things from Job. God gave those things to Job. Satan, as we read in point one, was the one that took those things. The only thing, if you want to sing God gives and takes away, the only thing God gives is health, victory, triumph, and the ability to overcome. And the only thing God takes is sin away from you. He'll take your sickness away from you. He'll take poverty away from you. He'll take the sense of condemnation and inferiority and insecurities away from you. And he'll take fear from you. You want to sing? He, he gives and takes away. That's the only way you can sing it. So because of Job's misconception of who God was, he lived in total fear. And that fear was an open door for the enemy to move in and do anything they wanted. That's why Paul tells the Philippian church, don't in any way be terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a destruction, but to you of salvation. That's why Joshua 1.9, God told Joshua, don't be afraid. Only do not be afraid, but be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Because God knows if you let fear dominate your mind and your spirit, it's going to produce a horrible harvest in your life. Faith brings a good report. Fear brings a bad report. Faith attracts God's blessing. Fear attracts the devil's curses. Faith brings healing. Fear will bring sickness and disease. Faith brings joy. Fear attracts depression. Fear will open your life to the devil's attack. Faith, the Bible says, the shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart of the wicked one. Fear opens up the, your life to the devil's attack. Faith shuts your life off to the devil's attack, his tactics, his schemes, his devices, and he has no point of entry. Number two, fear was Satan's entry point into Job's life. Number three, Job didn't have the covenant that we enjoy with God in this present dispensation. I said it before, Job's, uh, the account of Job's life dates 
between Noah and Abraham, somewhere in between there. And so if that's the case, which it is, Job didn't have the covenants that God made with Abraham. And God, Job did not, the covenant with God made, with, what God made with Abraham was, I will bless you and I'll bless those that bless you and I'll make your name great. And you know, you see, Abraham wasn't running around sick and defeated. Abraham was actually the first person in the entire Bible that ministered healing to another individual. He prayed for, for the servants of Abimelech to be healed because they had sores and painful sores that rose up on their skin. And Abraham prayed, and God, God healed Abimelech's servants. But Job didn't have Abraham's blessing. Job didn't have Moses' promises in Exodus. Job didn't have Jesus' covenant that he ratified by his own blood. Job lived in virtually a time, a period of time, where God was a mystery. And people didn't know who God was like. People didn't really know much about the character. They didn't have access to the names of God. Job didn't know Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha. Job just knew what Adam knew about God. He knew the fall of man. He knew uh, about the flood. And that was it. Though Job is in the middle of your Bible, chronologically, it's before all those things. It's actually the first book to ever be written. It, it predates Moses even writing the Pentateuch. So because he didn't have the covenant we have today, he couldn't come before God boldly to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He didn't have use of the name of Jesus to pray to God for these things to stop in his life. He couldn't come behind the holy veil into the holy of holies and present his case before God? He didn't have these promises that are based and established on a better covenant like Hebrews 8, 6 says. He was left in the, in the dark. The hedge of protection that was in, set in place in his life was based on his justification on, uh, that was determined by his own works. I, I need to read this again because people seem to forget the positive elements of the book of Job. They just focus on the negative. Listen to this. Job chapter 1 and verse, 11, uh, verse 10. Satan confessing. Have you not, speaking to God, have you not made a hedge around Job, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. God had placed a hedge around Job's possessions, his land, his family, his health, his everything, that, the, that Satan, the devil, couldn't even penetrate. Now I said it before, that hedge was based on his justification, which was determined by his works. But we have a hedge of protection, a shield of faith, a wall of fire. We dwell, the Bible says we are hidden in Christ, with, or hidden with Christ in God. We, the Bible says in Psalm 139, He has hedged us before and behind. God has a protective barrier around us in this new covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. And our justification is based not on our own deeds, not our own works, but on the works of Christ. And so that hedge is immovable. It's non-retractable. It can't be at will. It can't just be randomly removed like this hedge was in Job's day. 
Another reason why you can never be Job. And people say, well, you know, Satan ended up moving. He, he went into heaven and he asked God for Job. And so how many of you know the devil? He's still asking God for certain individuals on the earth for permission to come in and invade. Satan has no more. You know, we read here that he came before the presence of the Lord with the other sons of God. And they appeared before the presence of the Lord in heaven. Came before God in heaven in those days. But may I remind you what Luke chapter 10 says? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And then in Revelation 12, it says there was no more place found for Satan in heaven. He was cast down to the earth. Where Satan used to have access to, he no longer has access to. He, he's not before God asking for for Florilena or Jolene or Sarah or Michael that are watching me online. He's not petitioning God for, and then God's pretty much negotiating whose servants of his will, um, will he allow to pretty much totally attack and, and crush this week. Who is he going to lift up the head? That doesn't happen anymore because Satan had his rear end cast out of heaven. He can no longer appear before God. The Bible says there's no more place found for him in heaven. This new covenant, he had his passport ripped up. He's banned from heaven. The cherub will not allow him. The cherubim will not allow him. Free entrance, free entrance into heaven. His papers are made void. And so Job, number three, did not have the covenant that we enjoy with God. And he didn't have the immovable hedge that we now have in this new covenant. Number four, Job didn't have a Bible. This is huge. Job couldn't turn to Exodus 23 or Deuteronomy 28 and said, Father, you said that if I serve you, blessed shall I be in the city, blessed shall I be in the country. Father, you said that... the." The enemy will rise up against me one way, but be defeated before my face and be scattered seven ways. God, I'm, I'm putting you in remembrance of your word. I don't accept these things. Job couldn't go to prayer, or go to God in prayer and state his case from the word of God and bring God into remembrance of his word and use the name of Jesus in faith to have all this blow over. The Bible says very clearly, he didn't, there's no point where Job refers to the scriptures. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have uh, the, 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 the book of Genesis and just refer to Abraham and say, Father, I'm a child of Abraham. These things aren't ought to be so. He couldn't point to a specific promise in the Bible and use his faith. To bring it to pass. He couldn't approach God with, with his word and put him in remembrance of his word. Job didn't have the revelation of who God is from the scripture like we have today. Like I said before, he didn't have the revelation of God's compound names. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides for us. Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals us. Jehovah Tzikednu, the God that is our righteousness. I mean, think of the advantage you have today over Job. Every name that God reveals himself within the Bible 
is a revelation of who God is. Job didn't have the revelation of those things. When God said, I'm Jehovah Rapha, he said, I am healing. When God said, I am Jehovah Jireh, he said, I am your provider. When God said, I am Jehovah Tzikednu, he said, I'm your righteousness. When God said, I'm Jehovah Shalom, he was identifying himself as the God who is peace. When God said, I am Jehovah Nisi, he was identifying himself as the God of victory, the God who is our banner. When he said, I am Jehovah Ra'ah, he was saying, I'm the Lord, your shepherd. When God identified himself as Jehovah, Jehovah, um, when God identified himself as Jehovah, uh, what's the name? I forget it. But the Lord who is my sanctification. He was identifying himself as, as your sanctifier. Job didn't have the, the revelation of the compound names. He didn't know that God was the I am that I am. He didn't know the name, I mean, forget all that. He didn't know the name Jesus. The all-encompassing, powerful, matchless name of Jesus, which means salvation, deliverance, wholeness. Yeah, no revelation of those things. So everybody that claims to be, I am Job, I am Job, you have zero revelation. Of, of everything God has made you to be in Christ Jesus. Number four, Job didn't have access to a Bible. Number five, Job didn't have Jesus. Job 9.32. Let me read this. Job 9.32. For God is not a man as I am that I might answer him and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may... So Job is saying there's no mediator, there's no arbitrator there's no middleman between me and God who may lay his hands on both of us let him take his rod away from me and not let dread of him terrify me then I would speak and not fear God but it's not so with me so Job confesses I don't have that privilege yet Job said there's no mediator between me and God to lay his hands on both of us, join us together and thereby make peace between the two of us. So what was Job saying? I don't have Jesus yet. I don't have redemption yet. And you move on to Job 19.25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will one day stand on the earth, but I don't have it yet. So Job cried out for the thing that we now have in Jesus. Job cried out for a redeemer. He cried out for redemption. He said the quick fix to all my problems would be so simple if only there was a middleman between me and God. Then I can ask God to take it away and he'd take it all away. But I don't have that yet. The Bible says we now have Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Ephesians 2 says, we were at one time cut off from the covenants of God. But now Christ broke down the middle wall of separation and created in him a new man. For there's no Jew nor Gentile. We're all one in Christ Jesus. We're one in Christ Jesus. And then it says we now have access to God the Father by one spirit. And we have this confident access to God. 
So because Christ accomplished the work of redemption, we have confident access to God. So whenever you see something like what Job saw happen in your life, you don't have to sit down and say, oh, I must be Job. You have confident access by redemption to access the throne room of grace and mercy and say, Father, I don't accept these things. I'm not going to tolerate these things. I have a mediator that has made peace between you and I, and now I have access. I have a connection link to God in heaven, and I ask you, Father, let these things fade away, and he'll do it. Job didn't have Isaiah 53. He bore my sickness. He carried my pains. By his stripes were healed. Christ had not gone to the cross yet. Christ had not taken stripes on his back for the, 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 the penalty of what sin brought on the human race, which was sickness and disease. Christ hadn't shed his blood by taking lashes on his black back, which would pay For the inheritance of healing, which is the children's bread. Job didn't have the Holy Spirit in himself. He couldn't rise up in authority against the devil in that day. Like you and I can, because Luke 10 says, I give you power and authority over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Job didn't have the authority of the believer that tells us we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Job couldn't say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I rebuke you. Job had to accept whatever came his way in the new covenant. That's why I opened up this broadcast by telling you, the book of Job is not to get you to sit and camp in the valley of the shadow of death. It's to give you a supernatural deep appreciation that what Job didn't have but cried out for, you have now in redemption that you don't have to tolerate the work of the devil. You don't have to accept the things that come your way. You can use the authority you have in the name of Jesus empowered by the Holy Ghost to subdue your enemies under your feet. Job didn't have those things. Well, then why did God put Job in the Bible? I just said it. To show us how much we should appreciate, how truly of an appreciation we should have for the work of Christ in redemption. Number six Lessons I've learned from the book of Job is Job proves that you can have a life that pleases God. I quote this a lot and I say uh, from Romans chapter 6 that sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You can live a life free from sin. You can actually stop being a slave to sin and become a slave to righteousness. You can actually have victory over sin where you're not sinning every day. There's a lot of people who say, we sin every day, we sin every day. You can actually stop sinning every single day and not feel bad for saying that and not feel bad for not sinning every single day. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 that Job was a man who was blameless and upright, who feared God and shunned evil. I wrote down here in my notes four characteristics of Job. Four characteristics of Job's, uh, of Job's life. How God viewed Job. And I said this is the point. Point number six is that you can live a life well-pleasing to God. Because there's a lot of people who, who think like God's always angry at them. 
that it's impossible to make God happy because you're always going to have some sort of sin that's offending him. You're always going to be an offense to God. And there's a lot of preachers that preach that. That, you know, we're all just wretched, depraved, human scum. And that we should just be happy that God even looks on us. Job, who was before Christ, before Moses, God had a testimony of Job. Not that he was some wretched human being that disgusted him, but that he was what? A blameless man who was upright, feared God, and shunned evil. Now, if Job can do that without being empowered by the Holy Spirit, if Job can do that without, without having the blood of Jesus wash his sin and then grace to empower him to sin no more, which we have in this new covenant. How much more should we be able to live in victory over sin? How much more should we be able to live lives that please God? I want you to write that in the comment section. What a powerful confession. Write this out. I can please God. I can please God. I can live a life that pleases God. I can live a life where God smiles on me and says, have you considered my servant, TJ? Have you considered where God is commending me? There's too many people that live that, that live and, and have the mentality, the mindset that God is condemning them and never realize that you can live a life where God commends you. Fourfold character of, of Job. Number one, God said he was blameless. That doesn't mean he had sinless perfection, it, which we do have in Christ. But it does state that he was blameless. He was perfect. To the, to the level of knowledge that he had when he was on the earth, he lived a life blameless, complete. In no part was he lacking. Doesn't mean sinless perfection or immune to mistakes. It just means that given the level of knowledge he had in his day, he wasn't an offense to God. Number two, he was upright. He walked straight. He walked proper. He was kind to man and he was kind and lived in light of God's uh, in, God, in light of God's justice. Number three, the Bible says that Job feared God. He revered God. He was afraid of God. He lived in reverence of God. He had a deep respect for God. And then number four, he shunned evil. He turned off evil in his life. He rebelled against evil. He turned away from evil. When he saw evil rise up, he shut it down. He did not tolerate evil. So my sixth point is that you can live a life like that, empowered by the Holy Ghost, and accomplish far more. If Job, without the power of the Holy Spirit, could accomplish those things so that God commended him to be a man who was blameless, feared God, shunned evil, and was upright in all his ways, you and I can do the same thing. Don't let religion brainwash you into thinking that God is just, just has an angry face at you all the time. And you know what happens when you think of God that way? You, you can never pray bold prayers. You come before God and you start praying, Father, I just, and then you realize, I don't know if I can ask that. can absolutely ask that. Because I'm going to remind you today, when Christ came and died, shed his blood for you, he not only purged you from sin, not only extracted sin from you, but he then moved on to put the new wine of the Holy Ghost in you, which is an empowering force to live upright, to live. God, Jesus told the man, go and sin no more lest the worst thing come upon you. If Jesus was able to tell someone who was still under the old covenant that he can sin no more, how much more under this new covenant can we go on 
in the power of the Holy Ghost to sin no more. So don't let religion lie to you. We all sin every day, different. Don't judge me by my sin. You sin too. You can live a holy life. You can be perfect even as he in heaven is perfect because the Bible says you can. First Peter two, first, uh, 2 Peter 2 says, Be ye perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or 1 Peter 2. The Bible says that we are to be, uh, we are to, since God is holy, we are to be holy in all our conduct. Number seven, lesson that I learned from the book of Job. And this is like my favorite part. This is, this, is, this, this is number seven lesson that I learned from the book of Job. And that is, finish the book of Job. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered things I don't understand, things too wonderful for me. Verse seven. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job. That the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, and as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I, have ex for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me as uh, what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildab the Shuhite, or Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. Verse 10, Job 42.10 And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been acquaintances of him, of his, came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, he had 7,000 prior. 6,000 camels, he had 3,000 prior. 1,000 yoke of oxen, he had 500 before. And 1,000 female donkeys, he had 500 before. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Hippak. In all the land where there were no women found, as were as beauty, beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance amongst their brethren. Verse 16, and after this, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. And Job died an old man full of good days. My brother and sister, when you read the book of Job and stop at 38, you can get discouraged. You can get, you know, you can fall into discouragement and depression. But when you learn to actually follow out the law of interpretation in Scripture, which one of the laws of interpretation of Scripture is finish the book. Read the entire book. Don't just pick and choose certain verses and then build doctrine off of it. Finish the book. When you do that, you see that Job's ordeal, which lasted 18 months, at the end of the ordeal, God restored double everything that the devil came in and attacked and set his scope to remove from Job's life. Life doesn't have to finish. The 
Seventh lesson I've learned from the book of Job is that life doesn't have to finish the way that it started. God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God is a restorer. The devil's plan is to destroy, but God's work is to restore. It's to deliver. It's to set free. It's to heal. Job not only received back his health, Job received back his wealth and double everything he had lost. The Bible says when the Lord restored the captivity, of Job after he prayed. Quit praying for God just to get you through it. Quit praying for God just to get you uh, through the day. Start to pray kingdom honoring, God honoring prayers and kingdom ushering prayers. God, I'm not just going to get through this. Everything that the devil has attacked or everything that the devil has singled out in my life to remove, I believe you that you're able to bring back double, that wherever I was looked upon as an object of shame, as an object of reproach, where people pitied me in, I know that you're the God who in one moment's time can flip the tables of the devil and bring me in that area as an object of fame, an object of virtue, an object of glory. Job went to the most, Job went from being the most pitied person in all the land to being the most envied person in all of planet earth because of God's restoring power. My brother and sister, no matter what the devil's taken from you, no matter what Satan has set his scope on to attack in your life, God's not been the author of that thing. The devil is the author of destruction. The devil is the author of sickness and disease. The devil is the author of poverty and and, and lack. But God is not only the originator of health, not only the originator of prosperity, not only the originator of peace and joy in your life. He's the one that in one moment's time can restore your captivity and restore all the things that the devil has taken from you. God can restore your family. God can restore your children. God can restore your home. Job didn't just, the book of Job doesn't just finish where, okay, God, you know, set him back into a, into a lifestyle where he had more stability, but he was nowhere near as rich as he, as he was before, didn't have nearly as much joy as he ever had, didn't nearly have as much health as he had before. He still had the residue of all those boils on his body. That's not how the book of Job finishes. It says that he lived a long life. It said that he was 70 years old when all this started to happen. And the Bible says that God gave him 140 years on top of the 70 that he had already lived after all this happened. Job lived 210 years, a life full of good days, a life full of good things. And the Bible says that he went to the grave at an old age as a sheaf of corn in its season. Hallelujah. So I don't understand why some people, they love to focus on all the negative things that you can read of in the book of Job, when instead, James chapter 5, listen to this, James actually, brother James, the brother of Jesus, he actually tells us the purpose or the intent of the book of Job. He actually tells you how you should read the book of Job. He doesn't say read the book of Job so that one day when tragedy strikes, you'll not have a crutch to lean on. The book of Job, Job James chapter 5 verse 11, this is J James, Jesus' brother, his interpretation of the book of Job, James chapter 5, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. And you have heard of the perseverance of Job. And you have seen the end, the outcome intended 
by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So James calls attention to two things. Look at Job's perseverance. Look at how he never quit. Look at how he never gave up. Look at how he constantly honored God in his heart. And then two, look at the produce of what that type of attitude and characteristic uh, brings out. Look at what it brings as an outcome. Look at what type of that mindset brings as an outcome. Look at the result of carrying that mindset. Look at the end intended by the Lord. How God blessed Job more than ever before at the latter end of his life. More than he had ever experienced before. That God is very compassionate. Notice how it doesn't say consider the perseverance of Job. And look at how God can sometimes throw curveballs at you. Sometimes you don't know what his will is and what he's doing. God works in mysterious ways. Hallelujah. That's not what James says about the book of Job. He says, look at how God is compassionate. Look at how he's merciful. Look at how he's a good God. The devil wants to use the book of Job to warp your understanding of God's goodness. That somehow in God's goodness, he allows for torture and horror and torment. In fact, it's quite the opposite God is good the Bible says Psalm 103 he satisfies your mouth with good things he renews your youth like the eagles as high as hard as high as the heavens are above the earth so is God's goodness towards that fear him God's perfect love casts out all fear fear involves torment fear focuses on torment but God's love focuses you on the blessing that he has as a reward for those that will obey him oh hallelujah Finish the book of Job, and you'll see. You can't, you cannot persevere in your confession. That's why the Bible says, let's hold fast our confession of faith. Beware when you're going through a time of, 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 of testing that you do not start to confess wrong confessions about who God is. Beware. That's why David said, I will put a, a guard over my mouth and I'll set a gate over the door of my lips. Be, be careful what you say when you're facing opposition and trials and temptations and tests. That's exactly, that's why it's called a testing of your faith. That's exactly the time where even if Even if you're not seeing what God's promised you to see, you're not phased by what you see. You confess with what you see in your heart, with faith in the word of God. That's why the Bible says, don't waver from your confession. Keep confessing. David said in Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. This is what I will declare of God. He is my refuge. He is my strength. I'm not going to say I'm Job. I'm going to say... Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For his rod and his staff, they comfort me, and I know he's going to prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I know that I'm going to make it to the other side. I know that my tomorrow is going to be all right because I'm going to confess who God is today. I know that I'm not going to dwell here forever. I know this is just a, a phase. I know it's just a season. I know that I'm going to be like the righteous are described to be in Psalm 1, a tree that continuously is, is growing. I know that I'm going to move forward. I know that God's got my back. 
This is what I will declare of the Lord. The book of Job is not centered on man. There's no book in the Bible that's centered on man. It's all centered on God. Every book of the Bible is to point you to Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation. And Oral Roberts used to go through Jesus in every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible is to get your eyes on Jesus. And the book of Job is not any exception. So if you read the book of Job and what you get out of it is, I, might, I must be Job. And exalt your sufferings and exalt your struggles and exalt your frustrations. You did not read the book of Job properly. When I read it and I start to read Job 9.33 that says, If there be a mediator, one who can stand before me and God, who can make peace between the two of us so that these things could stop, that this rod of iron would stop and it, it, it ceased to strike me. Oh, I know my Redeemer lives and he shall yet stand on the, on the earth again. When I read that and I see that, it puts in me such a gratitude that Romans 5.1 says, I've been justified by faith and I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That mediator is with Christ. That Jesus put his hand on me and he put his hand on God and he joined both our hands together and he said, I've made peace between the two of you. You don't have to go the way of Job anymore. You can carry the perseverance of Job in that in this world you'll have trial and tribulation, but take heart. You can overcome. You don't have to tolerate the devil's mess. I'm giving you authority and power to rise up against those things and have practical victory in every area of your life hallelujah the book of job is not to get you to sit down and say i must be job and just accept defeat the book of job should put in you a deep appreciation of everything jesus came to do because job cried out for a mediator and that meteor mediator came when Jesus came and he took our sins, carried our pains, by his stripes we're healed. To not give us power to get through the work of the devil. But now Jesus Christ was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil in our life. Job gets me to appreciate the redemptive work of Christ more than anything ever before. If you're watching right now, and I feel like there's some of you watching... And you, you've been angry at God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 19 that the foolishness of man twists his way and his heart angers against God or frets against the Lord, meaning that it's people's foolish understanding or foolish actions and decisions and choices that screw up their lives. But then they point it at God and they think God's the one that screwed up their life. My friends... God does not, God is not breaking you down. God desires to build you up. God doesn't have to break you down so he can, God is a builder. Some of you have gone through a tragedy, a, a divorce, a marriage that didn't work out, a child that died prematurely, parents that left the earth too early, and you've always had this wrong perspective in your heart. That God was the originator of those evil things. When in reality we saw today that Satan is the author of sickness and disease. Satan is the one that went forth from the presence of the Lord to strike Job with everything he went through. And as you've come under that understanding, 
Your heart's melted. You had a hard heart against God. You had a calloused heart. You didn't want anything to do with God. Some of you, you actually, you, 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 you go to church and you put on a smile, but deep down in your heart, you've never, you, you've blamed God for something and you've never forgiven God for doing that thing. When in reality, he didn't, he didn't, God had nothing to be forgiven of. It was just your wrong idea. Wrong, it was a lie the devil spoke and whispered into your ears that got you to blame God. So your anger's been against God. You've gone to church. You've even lifted your hands in church. But deep down in your heart, you've never been able to let that go. Today's your day of freedom. Today's the day where those misconceptions, those demonic lies are like a bird fleeing from a tree branch are going to flee from your mind. God's word is washing away the pollution of the enemy's lies that's been dwelling in your mind for far too long. In the name of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe, number two, you've fallen under that category that I just spoke of, that you, you're in Christ, you, but you, you just carry this bitterness towards God because you've blamed Him for tragedy. You've blamed Him for things. And that root of bitterness has sprang up and it's defiled you, your conscience and all things. Today's your day. Get right with God. God's a merciful God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. I'm going to repeat that. James 1.17 says, Every perfect gift comes down from above. The Father of lights in whom there's no shifting shadow or variant of change. God gives perfect gifts, good gifts. Satan is the one that brings destruction and calamity. Don't be a victim of his lies. Understand, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. Connect with God today. Give your life to him. Forget those things which are behind. The devil's stolen anything from you? Here's a good way to react. Number one, realize that God's not the one that brought it. And then direct your anger towards the devil. And then number two, vow that you're going to win more souls. See more people healed. See more people prospering than you've ever saw before. You're going to partner with God to make the devil's time on this earth before he gets thrown into a lake of fire, the worst days that he's ever had. That He's going to literally... Look forward to the rapture of the church just so that you can finally leave him alone. That's the proper reaction. When attack comes, the wrong reaction to attack is to sit there and complain and worry that things will just get worse and then shake your fist at God and say, how could you let it happen? The proper reaction to attack or tragedy or anything that would hit your life is to realize Satan is the author of those things and then direct your anger towards him and then vow, I'm going to use my life to partner with God in winning souls, in seeing people's bodies healed, in being a wrecking ball in God's, help, in God's hand to give the devil two black eyes and the worst dance he's ever had on planet earth. It'll literally have him praying that the rapture happens sooner just so that he can have you leave the earth. Hallelujah. 
Pray this with me if you fall into those two categories. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I repent of my sin. I turn to you today. I ask you, cleanse me, wash me by your blood. Forgive me. Empower me today to live a life well-pleasing to you. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess today that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I will never turn back and I'm never looking in another direction. The same grace that drew me today is the same grace that's going to keep me. And the same grace that's going to empower me. Thank you, Father, that my slate is clean. My sins are forgiven and I'm never going to be the same. Today, heaven is my home. Today, I've switched out of darkness and I've come into light. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.